0: Hello. What
1: absolute fuck. What? What now? <laughs> I told you the app was different. You hit that button and a lady went, "This meeting is being recorded." Oh, <laughs> she I scared went, you. <laughs> yeah, she did scare the absolute shit <laughs> out of me.
0: <laughs> Liz is coming to us via a sort of makeshift I'm coming to you live from a $40 Chromebook and it is <laughs> what it is we're making it work listen we are dedicated to this podcast let me tell you so dedicated um, <laughs> we're working through the headaches we're working through the chromebook um across divides i can't see liz she can see me i don't want to see myself so i'm gonna hide <laughs> my view right now now i'm just, just be like a phone call <laughs> Now I'm staring at a picture of Liz, and it's gorgeous. Thank you so much. It's why it's my author <laughs> photo, and I haven't updated it in, like, six years. <laughs> Ooh, I haven't updated mine either. Not that I'm, like, sending things out actively or, like, using it in any way, but it is my, like, Gmail photo. It's a selfie. I haven't changed it in, yeah, probably six or seven years.
1: Yeah, I don't want to take a new one because then I have to embrace the fact that I'm, like, almost 30 years old and I don't look like that anymore. Stop it. It I hurts I can't my think feelings. about it.
0: I can't think
1: about it. I have to all the time because I work with a bunch of high schoolers and all the time I'll be like, back when I was a teacher, and they'll go, a teacher? How old are you? And it's oh like. Oh my
0: god. I can Uh, feel myself (laughs) falling apart. Because people always think you're 12. (laughs) (laughs) They do.
1: They're like, I thought you were like 22. It's like, I turn 30 next year. Or they'll be like, when do you go back to school? Classes start in August, right? I'm like, I have already graduated with my master's degree. A master's degree? How old are you? (laughs) It's like, motherfuckers. It's going to be a daily conversation.
0: I know. I mean, at least you look like youthful. Because I make no facial expressions ever. Mm, that's true. That's exactly what it is.
1: Yeah. My sister looks older than me, and it looks very good on her. So this is not an insult, but she has four children. So that is absolutely why. A lot, yeah. Lots of facial expressions. Lots of smiling, constantly out in the sun doing things. Right. As, yeah. As opposed to me. A little little hermit
0: Mm mm-hmm true um yeah the fucking weather like okay so this is august 1st july was apparently like the hottest month ever on planet earth or something besides like the time when the earth was like only volcanoes (laughs) which is how i imagine (laughs) it but it might not be true but yeah it wasn't it like the hottest month ever recorded in like human history or something i have no idea
1: is it like well, an average across like
0: everything? Like, I don't know. Everywhere in the world? I don't know. I could be lying. I I've could been be. Through,
1: I've been through hotter months.
0: <laughs> it could be fully making it up. No, it was across the entire world. But you know like... how. Yeah. That's what <laughs> I kind of want
1: to know because like back when we had the drought, like in high school, when it was like 120 degrees here, do you remember that? No. It
0: would have been around, like, 2010-ish. But... The corn didn't grow for, like, three or four years. And, you know, as someone who is from DeKalb, Illinois, corn capital of the fucking planet, I should probably have clocked that, but... I was such a narcissist in high school, just like head fully up my own ass. Like, it <laughs> could not be bothered. I don't really
1: know because I was in marching bands. So I was outside all the time and it was mm. fucking miserable. Absolutely yeah, no. miserable. I would not have there They're like, don't leave your that. animals outside, not even your strays. And we're sitting here like marching down the asphalt. It's like mm-hmm. nobody gives a shit. <laughs>
0: worse off than stray animals (laughs) yeah it was a good time. so yeah it was very low um well I don't know if it was hotter than that but it was um it sure felt like it at my cousin's wedding which was outdoors last weekend or this past weekend with my like outdoor wedding late in the year With my 95-year-old grandpa and the (laughs) ceremony, we were just sitting directly in the sun. It was like 4 p.m., the hottest part of the day, the hottest part of the year, the hottest year on the planet. I hate my life. Pouring sweat, sweat trickling from my eyebrows, like down the back of my neck, (laughs) down my butt crack. Cooling in my spanks <laughs> and then overflowing from the spanks trickling down my leg my suede heels got wet with sweat because it trickled anyway don't do that to your family if you're like getting engaged right about now and you're looking at next year you're like oh july sounds good no it fucking doesn't no no it doesn't No, it doesn't have it in like early june Right. June, have it in fine. September. <laughs> September. Perfect. Guess what? You will get discounts on everything anyway, because it's the off season. Why are you trying to fucking have the same wedding day as 13 other people anyway? It's what I never understood. My wedding was in November. It yeah. was fucking delightful. I love doing everything in the off season. That's when I took all my vacations because everything was super cheap and nobody was ever there. Yep. I don't know the like the need to do something at a time when everybody else is doing it has never like been a thing for me in a way that it seems like, like it is enough for, for other people. Right. Like, I don't understand the impulse to be like, well, everyone else is going to this city in this time. So that's when I'm going to go too. like, sh- what are you talking about? Yeah. Why would I want to be
1: surrounded by a bunch of other traveling dipshits? I don't know. I don't
0: fucking know. People who travel aren't smart. I say this as a person (laughs) who's traveled. I mean, I say it as a person who who lives in a tourist town. I can concur 100%. Just people walking around with their mouths open, stumbling into the street. It's like they've never lived before. They're so (laughs) grouchy. I know. I know. They are. They're mean they're rude. I mean, not everybody. Some people are so kind. They want to have fun so bad that they just piss themselves and everybody else off. Yep. Hey, first of all, that's me on vacation, <laughs> and I'm realizing that <laughs> as we're talking about it. And yeah, it's not good. But like, and I get why it, I don't like, go on vacation. I know it fucking sucks. Like, it's so much pressure, and then you have to come back, and you have to like go back to your sad little life, and you're like. Why did I even go? Mm-hmm. Well, this is a real bummer. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> the moral, of the story, moral of the story is don't get married. Don't go anywhere ever. <laughs> Stay in your live house forever. Stay in your house. Don't go in the sun. Don't find love don't make don't friends kids. don't have kids well number one i mean that should go before all else honestly but like you don't smile don't laugh don't um find little joys every day just quietly Resist. sit with your thoughts <laughs> <laughs> and that's and that's saints and witches that's our way <laughs> anyway um i'm sarah i I am a human being from planet Earth who used to be Catholic and is now something else.
1: I am Liz, who refuses to acknowledge I've had any part in
0: Sarah's corruption. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) you. here's the thing. The podcast really did change a lot for me. And it wasn't like, oh, like, Liz is, like, leading me down a path of darkness. So just, like, listeners, first of all, she doesn't have the energy. And And you you also,
1: if you listen to the episodes, we've met somewhere in the middle. I have become a lot more Christian in a (laughs) lot of
0: ways. (laughs) Don't do that.
1: Um, (laughs) No, but, like, I, I pray to saints and stuff now. And I'm a lot more tolerant than I used to be.
0: Well, the saints are pretty cool. And that's the thing is like, I'm I'm not giving them up. They're still my friends. Um, I'm still fascinated by them. I still want to talk about them. It's just different now. And I think it was always meant to happen. I don't think that I'm one of those people who can be like, um, who can like, just take everything on faith all the time. Like i Mm -hmm. it's very admirable well I don't know if it's even admirable to do that I think it's kind of silly but like I get the appeal of it and it appealed to me for a long time and worked for me for a very long time Um, and now it doesn't work anymore and I need answers and I need apologies and uh, yeah but anyway
1: this podcast is
0: all about kind of dispelling
1: all of that because I mean even as A witch, I mean, when you come into witchcraft, you see it in television shows and books and stuff. There's this very popular narrative of, you know, witchcraft is real and we have ancestors and they stretch back, you know, a thousand generations. Mm. Uh, You know, it's very popular. Like, oh, she's like seven generations down from like this witch who died at like the Salem witch trials. Right. It's very popular. So whenever you get into it and they start talking, about like all these witch trials that happened um you get kind of swayed into believing that like oh these were your ancestors you could be directly related to them they were actually witches we were persecuted and it's like actually no (laughs) there's (laughs) no lineage there's no lineage most of it was bullshit there Mm. is no history here we've entirely reconstructed this a lot of you have a persecution complex
0: Mm. A lot of Christians have one, too. And it's like, yes, like, as women especially, although as we've seen, a lot of men, too, were persecuted by the church. But also, like, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of times, it, yeah, it wasn't true. They were making things up because they were being actively tortured. Like, their dicks were being ripped off or whatever. Their, like, heads mm-hmm. were getting squeezed and they were being dangled from the ceiling on fucking you know what I'm talking about so yeah it's like what is what the fuck is actually going on and like I think it's so interesting the stories like the mythology on both sides that have like survived this long and what has sort of been twisted and um so that's kind of like what we talk about and also it's so fucking funny sometimes it's very funny sometimes (laughs) um i don't know if my story is very funny today it's very gross um which like you know sometimes that's fun that yeah Mm -hmm. anyway should we start yeah let me hear it all right let's do it Okay, here we are. Here we go. When I was trying to pick a saint for this episode, I realized it had been like 10 episodes since I had talked about a woman, which absolutely disgusting. I'm calling myself in. Um, How dare I do that to you all? Um, Too many men. So I'm really going back to my roots here. Um, This is a story about a tortured medieval mystic um lots of gross stuff, some weird sexual stuff, tons of miracles. Um it's it's classic saints and witches. So this is the story of St. Ludwina of Skidom, I think is how you pronounce it. I looked it up, immediately forgot, um looked it up again, probably mm-hmm. forgot again. Um the saints and witches way. <laughs> truly <laughs> um, once I close that YouTube tab, it is gone. It is wiped. I think it's Ski Dom is the town that she was from. Um, so she's sometimes called Lidwine or sometimes even Lydia, which is like, <laughs> not the same name. Or <laughs> like Lidwina or <laughs> Lydia, really close, whatever. But- It's like she was like, oh, Lydia's Lisa, if you're feeling sassy. (laughs) Right. It's like, you know that names aren't just like other names. (laughs) 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 A name is like its own thing. It's not like five other things. Uh, For sources, I'm using a translation of a translation of her hagiography, which is freely available online. And I'm also using a book by Caroline. Is that her name? I have it right next to me, so I'm looking at it. Yeah, Caroline Walker Bynum, titled Holy Feast and Holy Fast, The Religious Significance of Food to Medieval Women. I had like seen this book referenced again and again um, while researching for the podcast over the past like 71 fucking episodes, and I finally decided to just order it, um, and I'm very glad I did. I recommend it if you're into um, this story or other female medieval mystics like I am. It's really good. There's stuff about like St. Hildegard of Bingen, Elizabeth of Hungary, um, Catherine of Siena. All the ones that have like food show up as a big theme in their stories are in there. So let's jump in. We begin in the little town of Skidam. On the western coast of Holland on the morning of Palm Sunday, March 18th, 1380. Petronilla, wife of Peter, the town's night watchman, was attending Palm Sunday Mass when during the reading of the Lord's Passion, she went into labor. Petronilla skedaddled home from church. Some historians say she vamus. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> <God damn> it. <laughs> Uh, Believe what you want. (laughs) There are two main schools of thought. Some say skedaddle, some say (laughs) sorry. (laughs) It's really not that funny. Um, I'll shut up now. No, it's okay. That's exactly my humor. You hit it nail on the head. (laughs) Please continue to laugh at my joke. <laughs> I feed off of it. <laughs> um, so, she and Peter already had four sons, so she was a veteran of childbirth. Thank you for your service. But she delivered this baby, which was her first and only daughter, very quickly and with barely any pain whatsoever. They named the little girl Lidwina, which means the people's friend or Lydia, which means something completely different and is not related (laughs) at all. Um, After Lidwina's birth, the hagiography skips ahead to when she's like seven or eight years old. It's at this age that she develops a fondness for the Virgin Mary. In particular, she's drawn to the statue of Mary in the town church. One day when she's on her way home from bringing food to her brothers at their school, which, first of all, that's a horrible chore to have to do, she makes a pit stop at the church to pray in front of that statue. So obviously this makes her late getting home and her mom is angry with her. There are like more chores to be done or whatever. Um, But when Lidwina explained that she stopped to see Mary and that Mary had smiled at her, Um, Patronilla forgave her this like this kind of interaction with Mary at this age super common in like the lives of female saints Um, like Saint Bernadette when she was like gathering firewood at the grotto obviously that's like a big one but also um, Saint Bridget of Sweden has a vision at age seven of Mary like placing a crown on her head and then also Saint Therese of Lisieux Uh, Was really sick that one time with she was probably having like seizures, like fever induced seizures. And there was a statue of Mary in her room that smiled at her. Like it's like hallucination. (laughs) (laughs) Like how high was her temperature? Um, But this, like this particular age, seven or eight, and being drawn to the Virgin Mary, super common. When Lidwina is 12, her father tells the family that he has received several marriage offers for her. And to this, Lidwina says, go fuck yourself. She flat out refuses to get married. And she even threatens to injure and disfigure herself so that no man would want to marry her. Luckily, her mother also steps in. She takes Lidwina's side and um, she is not forced to get married, which is not always the case in these stories. Ludwina prayed regularly that God would make her undesirable for marriage, um, and I'll quote here from the hagiography. Quote, he accomplished her will in much bodily suffering, according to that saying of his holy word, every branch that beareth fruit, my father will purge it, that it may bring forth more fruit. For the earth was good, producing the flowers of modesty, but lest the vanities of the world or the delights of the flesh should violate the seal of virginity, Christ hedged it round with thorns and most grievous pains that it might not be fit for any nuptial bed. First of all, mixed metaphors, (laughs) but okay. Like, (laughs) is she the earth? Is she the fruit? Is she the flower? Not clear. It's like, if you're going to lecture me on, like, virginity and, like, <laughs> you know, like, at least get your fucking metaphor straight. <laughs> um, but anyway, it's it's foreshadowing what's going to come next. Um, one day when Lidwina was 15, she and a few friends went ice skating, which seems like that shouldn't exist at this time, but it did. Lidwina fell and broke a rib on her right side. Obviously, medically, there was really nothing they could do back then, although her parents did spend a lot of money trying to cure her. They were not well off, and after Ludwina, they had four more boys, so nine children altogether. So, like, it was a big deal how much money they spent, but it didn't work. Um, and her pain increased and increased for months on end. Um, a hard abscess grew around the broken rib. And one day, when Lidwina moved too suddenly, the abscess burst, and she vomited so much and so hard that she lost consciousness and was so feeble that her family thought she was dead. (laughs) Jesus. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) This full, like, exorcist moment. From that moment on, she never recovered. This is the start of the downward spiral that is the rest of her life. For about three years, she was still able to leave the house and to walk using a stick or a crutch. But after this, her illness worsened and she was confined to her bed for the next 33 years until her death. 33 is an important number. Oh. But, um, yeah, because Yeah, right. Um, so we've got that going on, but yeah, 33 years in bed, like feet did not touch the floor. Um, when she at that point, yes, literally, so many times in this story, I'm like, could someone please take this poor girl out back and shoot her in the fucking head? Like she deserves old yeller style. Yes, (laughs) just fucking take her out. Somebody take one for the team and be like, you know what? Like, I may go to hell. But like 33 years, like Jesus, that is too much. So when she was first confined to her bed, she ate very little food. The hagiography is very specific here. It says she would eat a small piece of apple warmed over the fire, sometimes a little bread with a sip of beer, sometimes a little bit of milk. She also sometimes drank wine and would eat a little bit of sugar or cinnamon, which I found interesting. Like, um, cinnamon, that's not, like, something I associate with, like, medieval <laughs> <Cinnamon> Netherlands. challenge. <laughs> sometimes she, <laughs> sometimes as a little treat, she would do the cinnamon challenge. <laughs> but as you can imagine, it was not great for her vomiting. <laughs> <laughs> did you did you do the cinnamon challenge when it was a thing? I never did anything fun or stupid. I didn't either, and now I'm really regretting it. And I'm thinking maybe on the podcast is a, is the perfect time for us to do it. Just live. do a bunch of really stupid stuff. But I'm worried I would cough cinnamon all over my computer and microphone and stuff i'm gonna drive seven hours
1: just to dump a bucket of ice on you
0: (laughs) (laughs) or that thing they did with the condom where the condom was full of water and they dropped it on your head although i think someone died from that like a
1: patrol yeah they did so much
0: dumb shit yeah it was like who came up with it who thought it was a good idea why are we doing it and the thing with like the ice bucket challenge it was like oh it's for als okay That got lost in translation, like, immediately. And it just became, like, people dumping ice water on each other. Like, no one was donating money, money. No one was, like, actually doing, like, what the point of the thing was. Right? Like, yeah, people were just doing it for fun. They're like, oh, it's for ALS. No, the fuck it isn't. What money did you donate? Anyway. I didn't know that I had so many feelings about that. (laughs) It was random. Um, All from cinnamon. Um, Okay, but eventually she stopped even eating these things and would only drink a cup of water over the course of a week. That's all she wanted. That and the Eucharist. So the water is interesting to me. She preferred above all the water from the Muse River. And this is very witchy of her. She always would ask for salt water from the river. So it's a freshwater river, but it meets the North Sea like just a little ways out of town. So so she wanted the salty water that would flow into the river at high tide, specifically on the full moon when the tide was highest. So... Apparently, the two things she's consuming for years on end are moon water and the Eucharist. What could be more saints and witches? (laughs) (laughs) Like, that really sums it up. That's that's our show. It is. Um, She also is said to have slept very little and eventually not at all, which is also on theme for the podcast. This is also how we Mm -hmm. operate. Um, it's at this point that the hagiography goes into great detail about Lidwina's afflicted body, which is not rare. With the mystics, there's always, like, body stuff going on. I remember with, like, Marie of Wanyi, there was a part where she, like, <laughs> cuts a chunk out of her thigh with a knife. It's like, who told you to do that? Um, <laughs> Saint Katiri would, like, sleep on a bed of thorns, um, I think it was Radagund who wore, like, an iron girdle or something, and it's, like, who is... T- what I find so fascinating is, like, who's telling the story and how do they know that mm-hmm. this stuff is going on? They have seen this woman's naked body, and, like, we should probably talk about it. Or at least that. fantasized about it. For sure. There's so much fantasizing about it. It's, like, what is going on under that <laughs> hair shirt? <laughs> <laughs> it's something and i'm interested in it it's like these men writing about these like these pure virginal women and it's just like so much fetish fetishization happening i think Mm -hmm. anyway so but i will say this hagiography out of all the ones that i've read was by far the most disgusting in terms of like body stuff so if you're eating particularly like spaghetti maybe I would pause take a pause on the spaghetti (laughs) set it aside or pause the podcast and then and eat your spaghetti without having this knowledge and then come back to the podcast although I never do that when I'm told to like when people are like oh you shouldn't be eating I'm like fuck you how bad could it be And, like, I've never, like, vomited or anything. So, you know, it's up to you. You're Mm -hmm. an adult. So let's get gross. The hagiography tells us that because of her injury and subsequent illness, which I'll talk more about, like, a modern theory of what this illness was in a second. But apparently um, this caused her to have three, quote-unquote, large openings in her body. I believe that two of the openings or wounds were in her abdomen and the third was at the base of her spinal cord. In these wounds, which never closed, there were worms. The wounds were putrefied, basically. The text says, quote, "...these worms were of a gray color full of gray water, having black heads, large as the thickness of the end of a spindle." long as the measure of the small joint of a man's finger. So these worms would sometimes, quote-unquote, flow abundantly from her wounds when the wounds were uncovered. Um, and in order to keep the worms from eating her alive, um, a plaster was placed on the wounds made of, like, wheat and honey, so the worms would eat that instead of her. Which is... Just a simple workaround <laughs> it's not perfect it's not a perfect system <laughs> it's so fucking disgusting and horrible i don't even know where to start so it's it continues quote and when these plasters were taken off to be changed there remained on them little gray worms with black heads giving forth from them no bad odor but offering a sweet smell to those who beheld them okay sure We also learned that we also uh, hear that one of the wounds was in her bowel and that it was bandaged. Um, Otherwise, her intestines would just fall out, Mm. Um, which they did. Sometimes pieces of her intestines would fall out um, and her mother would save them in a jar. They which is like I mean, that's what moms do. Right. They save your teeth. They save your hair clippings. They um your intestines, whatever comes out of you, your mom is going to want to keep it.
1: In a little jar. My In a trinkets. little jar.
0: Her tr- <laughs> <laughs> trinkets. Your, your trinket is like pieces of your child's bowels. Look, no judgment. I, I have a number for kids. you to call. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have kids, so I don't know, but... <laughs> people will be like that sometimes they'll be like um i don't have kids so i don't know but like maybe you shouldn't like beat your children into submission and people are like how <laughs> dare you like it's like some things are just true and anyone can know yes. them <laughs> <laughs> you Absolutely. don't actually have to have like the schema of like <laughs> doing like having kids to know that it's bad to like beat children um oof. anyway so her mom would save them in a jar. They These pieces of intestine were said to give off a sweet smell. At one point, she, Ludwina is also said to have vomited part of her lung and part of her liver. And again, this apparently happened without any stench or bad odor. Um, on the contrary, anyone who handled this regurgitated material had a sweet smell cling to their hands for several hours. Um, this. Comes up sometimes. I feel like it's come up maybe with Catherine of Siena, it came up, although that was like a million years ago. But it's called like there's a term for it that some saints get. It's called the odor of sanctity. So, like, it's kind of related to like the incorrupt body thing where like they don't decay. It's like they've just got a sweet heavenly smell going on. Some of them do. And Lidwina is one of them, which thank God, because if she didn't, things would be real rank because stuff is coming out of her and it is constant um so eventually lidwina was only able to move her head and her left arm using her shoulder so it was like this sort of area can still move um but not like her you know fingers or anything or legs obviously whenever she was moved to like when people would change her bandages or turn her or anything like that, she would need to be wrapped tightly with cloth, quote, otherwise there was a danger that she would fall to pieces, unquote. Um, At first, um, sort of like for her comfort, um, she used like a soft feather bed, but because her wounds were always oozing, for lack of a less disgusting word, that sludge that came out would just like harden the feathers and they would poke her. So eventually they just laid her on a fucking hard plank on a bed of straw. (laughs) She also had excessive headaches her entire life. No fucking shit. Her spinal cord was like putrefying. She had constant fevers and swelling and abscesses. Um, She had a vertical fracture on her forehead that extended down her nose and another on her chin, which made it so that she could hardly talk. Blood would often pour from these fractures, as well as from her nose, mouth, and eyes. She went blind in her right eye, and her left eye became very weak, and she was tortured by light, so she was constantly lying in the dark. Through all this, though, she is said to have maintained the full use of her other senses besides her vision and her intelligence and memory completely. So, like, don't worry. It's conscious torment. It's literal (laughs) hell on Earth. This poor, poor girl. Like, what is happening? Which is the main question at this point. Like, from a modern perspective, I think, like, what the fuck is happening to her body and how is she surviving it? And I'm sorry to say that we don't really know, because of course, hagiography is not a historical document. I mean, it is, but it's not like, you know, reporting. And, you know, they, whatever it was, they didn't have a framework to even think about it back then, probably. So we don't know for sure. We're not sure exactly what's exaggerated and, and what was really real, but it's been suggested That Lidwina had a form of multiple sclerosis, which is so sad thinking about it in that context where it's like we have treatment for it now. Like we we don't have a cure, but like there are things we can do now. And the idea that like someone had it back then and it was just so hopeless and but they stayed alive for so long. Just suffering is like Mm. like unspeakably sad to me. But so historians who argue for this interpretation, they point out like the age of onset, the fact that, you know, it, like MS, like often shows up around the age that it happened to Ludwina, um, the duration, um, the the certain symptoms, the headaches, the toothaches, the paralysis, um, the sort of like slow deterioration with periods of remission. So all that is going on in the hagiography and the remission, the like, you know, oh, by miracle one day, like her sight returned, like stuff like that. It's like, well, yeah, that was like, she had like relapsing, a relapsing form of MS probably. So we don't know for sure, but that's a a pretty good guess. So after Lidwina's fasting and her illness had gone on for a while, and she had been examined by several doctors. The town officials had her supervised for three months, after which they, um, they wrote up this document and disseminated it that attested to her lack of food and sleep and to the sweet odor of the body parts that she shed. And the distribution of this document, which is still available today, made her popularity grow quite a bit. Um, She was further tested when Philip of Burgundy's soldiers occupied the city. I didn't read much about, like, why these soldiers were there, like, what was going on. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that Philip was kind of a douchebag and had spent a lot of money being, like, an extravagant little prince boy and was trying to, like, get money back by, like, forcibly, like, occupying cities. Um, Which is like typical Duke behavior. But so while his soldiers were occupying the town, they apparently heard about Lidwina and they decided, oh, we're going to test her ourselves to see if she can really survive without eating or sleeping. It was like, while we're here, we might as well stop in and like see what's going on. Um, The local priest allowed them to see her. They were acting very, you know, pious, like, oh, we want to see like the miraculous... No food, lady. And the priest was like, right this way. um, Like an idiot. And once they were inside the house, the soldiers just started fucking shit up. Um, They were very rude. They threw a bunch of shit around. They said that Lidwina's body was so swollen because she was pregnant with the local priest's baby. Like, fucked up shit. So she always kept a curtain around her bed because the light would hurt her eyes. Um, They tore that down. And they stripped her naked. Um, And this is when Lidwina's niece, who was also named Petronilla, which is kind of confusing, um, the niece jumped on one of the soldiers' backs to try to stop them, and he threw her across the room. The hagiography says that Petronilla was afterwards lame in one leg where she hit the fireplace. So, like, this is like a serious illness. Like, they are (laughs) doing bad shit. They called Lidwina a prostitute. They accused her of eating huge feasts at night when no one could see her, which is like, come on, she can't even, like, lift her hands. (laughs) Like, let's be (laughs) fucking for real for a second. Um, And they kind of, like, poked and prodded her, which made her skin bleed because, of course, it did. To all this abuse, Lidwina apparently simply replied, Why have you not fear to interpret the works of the Godhead in me so evilly, ye who know not what kind of judgment shall be yours from God? Which is a little bit of a um, foreshadowing moment. The four soldiers all met their deaths quite quickly and gruesomely after this attack. One of them drowned in a shipwreck on the boat home. The second went mad and was thrown overboard. The third died in battle, and the fourth died of apoplexy, or a stroke. Um, and that all happened within this same winter. So she was like, hey, fuck around and find out. Which is so funny, because if she were a witch, all
1: of those instances would have been used to prove she had been a witch. Shipwrecks, yep. strokes, Mm-hmm. Right. Nuts
0: which we've seen again and again it's like oh you touched the soldier and he had a stroke so we're going to kill you so what was it about her story i don't know i guess that she well we don't know because she didn't write the story mm-hmm. no one in her mm-hmm. family wrote the story it wasn't like oh her dad word for word is describing all this stuff it's like maybe some of it maybe like certain anecdotes but we don't know like from an objective point of view, what actually happened. And it's like, that's the same with the witches' cases, too. They so rarely get to tell their own story. Mm-hmm. It's so frustrating. I want to, like, be there and know actually what happened. I do, too. We've only ever had at
1: least witches' side, that one letter, like, written by the man who is imprisoned.
0: Yeah, I still remember that. Was it. Was that Johannes Junius? Was mm-hmm. that somebody else? Yeah, he was in Germany, I think. I can't remember what episode it was, though. Anywho, a big theme in Lidwina's story is food and feeding. Um, she does a lot of feeding others, both by ordinary means and by miraculous means. Um, she provides food for the poor. That's kind of like the main good work that she does. So all the money that would have been used to feed her, she has given to the poor. Um, She sends meat and fish to people. She gives thirsty people wine and beer from like a miraculously refilling jug on her bedside table. The hagiography mentions that she once had a vision of a heavenly banquet table full of all the food that she had given away over the years It's like all food all the time, which is obviously (laughs) a hint at what the most pressing concern of the time was. (laughs) It's like, people are starving. (laughs) (laughs) Um, In addition to providing food from outside her body, which is a weird, you shouldn't have to specify that. um, She also provided people food from her body itself. So... One winter, a widow named Catherine, who cared for Ludwina after her parents died, had a vision that on Christmas Eve, Ludwina's breasts would fill with milk, like Mary at the nativity. And sure enough, this came to pass, and Ludwina nursed Catherine three times, after which Catherine did not feel hunger or thirst for several days. As you do. Oh, uh, yeah. You can't see my face, but I'm making one. Um, <laughs> um well you'll like this too then um one of the hagiographies of the three um says that Lidwina also breastfed her confessor
1: what
0: yeah (laughs) um the other two don't mention that I wonder what that's about I wonder um, what's going on like I'm actually not being sarcastic I legitimately wonder what the actual fuck is going on (laughs) was he was the confessor caught doing something he should not have been doing, and was this an elaborate cover-up? Maybe. Or did she fucking lactate? Because sometimes that just happens to women. Maybe. I don't fucking know. Anyway. Um, Ludwina performed many other miracles in her life and after, and she received dozens, if not hundreds, of visions from God, Mary, the angels, all of them. And there's also quite a bit of demonic imagery in her hagiography as well. So one of the common accusations against her during her life was that she was possessed by a demon. Um, I don't know if there was any kind of exorcism attempt or anything that wasn't mentioned in the hagiography. But there's some demonic temptation stuff going on that's like really interesting to me. And there's some weird stuff with her dad that's tied into that. So... One night on the vigil of Pentecost, her dad was on his way to Vespers when the devil appeared to him. (laughs) It just states that. It's like, oh, yeah, and and the devil was there. It's like, okay, description, please. No. Okay. Um, The devil appeared and suggested that the two of them go for a stroll outside the city. So he went and the devil chucked him in a ditch and disappeared. (laughs) Was a I think walk. he ran into a man that was high on drugs <laughs> maybe <laughs> just some guy who like ate bread the mold shoves him in a ditch <laughs> he's like yeah <laughs> he got scared he got freaked out <laughs> by him he thought he was the devil maybe <laughs> they each thought the other one was <laughs> classic mix up <laughs> <laughs> So her dad nearly drowned, but he was rescued by an acquaintance. So that's like a weird foreshadowing of other demonic stuff involving her father. Um, And the next thing we get is that Lidwina foresees her father's death in a vision from Mary. Mary tells her that she has entered into a pact with Lidwina's father and is going to call him from the world at the time of the Festival of the Immaculate Conception. Um, which came true. He died on that day. And after his death, the hagiography says that Lidwina was often visited by demons who told her that her father was with them in hell. Um, And I thought this excerpt was really interesting. Quote, on one occasion, therefore, when she was being conducted by a holy angel to the gardens of paradise, The demons, besetting her path, showed her a devil transformed into the likeness of her father, saying, Ah, ah, look here, we have thy father. Then she, knowing that the act of the devil was a vain illusion and not the truth, said that this could not be her father. And at once they vanished as smoke, and the maiden joyously continued her journey with the angel guide. So... This kind of shit happens all the time to her where it's like not just a vision like she's not just like laying there daydreaming she is like whisked away by angels or by demons like not physically but that is like how it feels reading it like she mm-hmm. goes to heaven and purgatory and hell um and in these visions she's like moving around she can walk she can see things there's light which like i found like very sad because um, mm-hmm. it's like of course she's having these of course she's dreaming about these things like she can't even have light in her room like she can't even have a fucking candle and then to have to come back to her like straw bed all alone in the dark it's just like Jesus Christ Um. anyway shortly after Lidwina's father died her mother also died Um. in the aftermath of Her mother's death, she took up a new penance as if she fucking needed one and started wearing a hair girdle, which went about as well as you can imagine. The girdle was constantly rotting and having to be replaced, um, but she did wear one until her death. Um, So I mentioned this briefly earlier, but towards the end of her life, Lidwina was really only eating the Eucharist, which she would receive more and more frequently, up to every other day. One day, an angel came to her and told her that the following day, the local priest was going to bring her an un- an unconsecrated host to test her. Um, so when the priest did this and gave it to her, she spit it out, declaring that she could tell the difference between the body of Christ and a piece of bread. Um, she's like, what is this fucking trash? Like, get this out of my mouth. Um, this angered the priest who refused to give her communion for months, um, which is like, you're the one who played the silly little trick on her. <laughs> like, why are you mad? About three months after the incident, Jesus appeared to Ludwina and gave her the stigmata and a miraculous host with three drops of blood on it. Um, the priest heard about all this commotion and came to see for himself and Ludwina begged him to feed her the host that jesus had left behind um, as communion she's like hey this is for me from jesus i just need you to like put it in my mouth please because you're a priest and i'm not supposed to do it um so the priest reluctantly agreed um and then he just like went around telling everyone that he had cured her of demonic possession which like where the fuck did that even come from Um, That, like, wasn't on the table, (laughs) but he, like, put it on Mm -hmm. the table. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Um, But I like this story because it shows that, like, priests can be wrong um, and that if they're negligent. He wanted
1: to be the main character for a little bit. He
0: so badly wanted to be the main character, which I think a lot of the confessors do and the people who write these hagiographies do like they insert themselves into the story in like a silly way but like he was negligent and then jesus stepped in and like ministered directly to the faithful in a way that like that's pretty like revolutionary for medieval catholicism Mm -hmm. um so i like that in the winter of 1433 when lidwina was 53 years old She fell ill with what I gather was a bladder stone or a kidney stone. It just said stone, but um, I looked it up and apparently that was probably what it was. Um, This stone was apparently the size of a pigeon's egg. And she said that it would cause her death. She was very open. She's like, hey, this thing is going to kill me. (laughs) Uh Um, She also felt very abandoned by God at this time. She hadn't received any visions or any kind of consolation for a long time. But on Easter night, she was visited by her confessor. And he remarked that she smelled very sweet. And she said she had just been visited by her holy angel. She said she knew this was to comfort her because she was about to endure her final suffering. Um, There's like an alternate prophecy of her death in one hagiography in which like years before her death, she tells her confessor that an angel had taken her to heaven um, and the angel showed her a rose tree covered with buds and had told her that when all the buds were in full bloom, she would die and go to heaven. And so, like, often throughout the years, her friends and her confessor would ask her how it was with her rose tree, and she would reply, like, oh, it's not flowering, oh, a few buds are opening, and then finally in 1433, quote, Behold, all the roses are opened, it will not now be long before I die, unquote. So this is, like, why she's often depicted holding roses. So, when Lidwina was about to die, she asked to be alone and dismissed all the members of her house and her confessor, except for her little nephew, who remained with her until she died. And she died after hours and hours of vomiting when she finally choked to death on her own vomit. So, I don't know that it's like, (laughs) worthwhile certainly not always but even at all to apply like modern thinking and stuff to medieval sources we talk about this sometimes I think it's often not very helpful but with Lidwina's story I feel like I couldn't help it I was very sad reading this and thinking about her so sick unable to move or see alone in the dark and then to have all these strangers like fetishizing her and either like hating her and wanting to like kill her or rape her or like you know fetishizing her in this like saintly way I think they're both bad honestly Um, and then to just die like that choking on her own vomit I don't know that I have like anything coherent to say about it. I just want to make it clear that I find the glorification of her illness very upsetting. Um, She died on April 14th, 1433 at the age of 53. She had asked her confessor that he have her buried immediately following her death, but her wishes were not honored um, because her corpse became quite the tourist attraction. Even in death, she cannot escape these people. The hagiography says that the fractures on her face vanished after her death and that her skin became soft and white and flushed with health. Many of her scars disappeared. Um, Her confessor and the ladies who watched over her body were untroubled by hunger, thirst, or fatigue. Thousands visited her body before its burial four days after her death. She was buried in the little churchyard of her hometown. Her relics took a vacation to Brussels in 1615, but were returned in 1871. She was canonized in 1890 by Pope Leo XIII. Today, she resides in the Singelkirk in Skidom, which is commonly referred to as the Basilica of Lidwina. She is the patron saint of chronic illness and, in a real cruel joke also the patron saint of ice skaters. And that is the story of St. Ludwina.
1: The moral of the story to me is do not go ice skating immediately after asking God to make you undesirable for marriage because he <laughs> will
0: it way too far. <laughs> he will take it so far. He will ruin your entire life. Yeah, Jesus Christ. And then, yeah, and then to say like, okay, this... Horrible acts. Maybe she did pray to be completely disfigured and horrible, like have this Mm -hmm. horrible illness. But like, what if she didn't? And then this is just the way that they're like spinning it so that it like has some type of meaning when really like, it probably doesn't. She just had an illness yeah. that they had no clue what the fuck it was. And then they're like, Oh, well, but she wanted it this way. It's like, well, nobody wants it that way. Because that's crazy. God would not do this without a reason. Exactly. Yes, exactly. It's it must have been like so horrific to witness. That people were like, oh, well, we have to, like, rationalize this somehow, because otherwise, like, God is not good. <laughs> God is, in fact, quite bad. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I still think I think that happens all the time. Still.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. Anyway, that was a downer.
1: Was a horrible story. Yeah, my bad. <laughs> my bad. No, it's one of those stories that I am, like, an intrusive thought is just going to pop into my head occasionally when somebody's going to have, like, bed sores or something. I just think of, like, her. Yeah. Or right. maybe spaghetti now, because thanks. Because the worm. <laughs> You're so sweet. Love that for me.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Delicious. Um, Which is
1: terribly ironic because I ordered spaghetti with my last um, grocery delivery, but Mm -hmm. it was out of stock. So they shipped it from a fulfillment center and it got here this morning and it is sitting on my doorstep right now. A box of spaghetti. Just waiting.
0: Waiting for you.
1: It it knew you were going to tell me this story. (laughs)
0: As long as the spaghetti is not gray, I think you're good. No, and it's
1: it, it's angel hair, so maybe it's a little bit better.
0: I don't know. I mean, well, they were the size of a pin or whatever, so... I'm going to pretend they hair. were bigger than that. Okay, good deal. I'm going to pretend good. they were
1: like earthworms.
0: Whatever you need to do. See, immediately earthworms makes it so much better. It's like, oh, well, then they might as well be gummy worms. And then, like, nothing's wrong. Yeah,
1: That's how I'm picturing it in my head, because it's less real that way.
0: Yeah. That's a really good um, idea. <laughs> I can't get there yet, but I support you. To <laughs> me, it's very real. Thanks. And I'm picturing the bandages and, the, and everything, and just, I'm disgusted. But, um... To me it's just plaster,
1: honey, and gummy worms.
0: Mm, and delish.
1: <laughs> that's what I it's what I gotta do to preserve um, my sanity.
0: That's smart. Let's move on.
1: I tried really hard to find a story this week. Like so hard. Um, Mm -hmm. I punched in all the terms he gave me. He gave me so many terms. I punched (laughs) them all in. Um, And every time I thought that I found something, the story would be like a paragraph long or the keyword would be like a single sentence buried in like 20 pages of irrelevant bullshit. Mm. Um, And I would get so sad because I thought it was onto something with like the ice skating one. And then it was like, nope, this is all nothing. So the only witch trials I haven't talked about in the Netherlands, to like my current knowledge, are the werewolf witch trials that are there. Um, Excuse that information. I've talked about the werewolf trials before. Okay. Um, I mean,
0: I remember what's his once, name in Giles Germany or whoever.
1: Oh. Yeah. Yeah. At least once or twice, I've I've mentioned them. They've been brought up. In the Netherlands, that information isn't super substantive. And if I'm going to do another werewolf witch trial episode, I want the victim of the story to be the focus and not just, like, a segue or, like, a really weak connection. Sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm going to do a 14th century English trial about a guy at least – One person thought was really dope, even if nobody agreed with him. Um, And that's the best I got. And here we go. (laughs) Okay. I like it. This is the story of a man named Walter Langton. Nobody really knew anything about his lineage until like really recently, like within the last like 30 or 40 years. Hmm. Um, A historian did a bunch of research and traced it all out, and it's now generally accepted that Walter was born near Langton in Leicestershire, England. Based on his death, I personally would guess he's born mid to late, like, 1200s. His father, thanks to the historian, is now listed as Simon Peverell, of whom Walter was the eldest son.
0: Mm, that last name Harry Potter yeah anyway (laughs) I didn't know how to pronounce it I just guessed don't listen to me carry (laughs) on
1: (laughs) my little niece is obsessed with Harry Potter right now and i don't want to ruin the magic for her so I'm just participating in it yeah that's but I asked her her favorite character Mm -hmm. it is hard um I asked her her favorite character and she told me Luna or Draco and it's like ooh Baby girl, we are of one mind. We Big time. Belong.
0: Same, because... I love your taste. <laughs> literally, like, Draco Malfoy. I mean, what a good character. So complex. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Um,
1: anyway, it is explained that Walter sort of dropped his last name. So, Walter Peverell of Langton became Walter of Langton became Walter Langton. I'm kind of assuming that this is why his lineage got lost for a very long time. Mm, mm -hmm. Um, Knowing this, we know his brother, Robert, and some of their descendants and ancestors now. Okay, I'm not going to get into it. They have Wikipedia pages, but I didn't recognize any of the people, so it didn't really matter to me at all. Leicestershire is like smack dab in the middle of Great Britain for reference. I know I've mentioned the Leicester boy and that witch trial at least one time. I'm getting to the point I can't remember what I've done an episode on anymore, and I need to take a day to go through my like 70 Google Docs and write tiny
0: little summaries of what <laughs> I cover. That's a really good <laughs> idea.
1: Because I don't always cover one person, I'll be like, this person, and then also this other, like, trial over here that is relevant, It doesn't make the summary of our episode. Right, yep. Uh, but I do know that Lester has been name-dropped at least once, probably back during the Pendle Witch episode, if I had to guess, if not the Samuelsberry trial, because that's at the exact same time as the Pendle Witch trial. Mm -hmm. A lot of information on Walter is like, based on this, he may have or could have or we surmise that, um, especially regarding his early life. Based on him ordaining his nephews super duper young and booting them into the church, historians guess that, Walter's own uncle being the Dean of York back in 1262, that Walter also was probably yoinked young into his uncle's care in the arms of the church.
0: <laughs> yoinked young. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the alliteration. It's good.
1: Um, And a lot more maybes and possiblies and could-haves. We're brought up to 1290, where it said, maybe through work and knowing a guy who knows a guy who knows a guy, Walter got introduced to King Edward I of England. We do know the two met, though. Don't really know how or why, but we do know that they met. Um, And it's their meeting that is like why Walter is famous. Hmm. Edward is like enamored with Walter upon meeting him and offers him a position as a clerk in the Royal Chancery, a job where he would have like penned important royal and legal documents. He thrives there and very quickly becomes one of Edward's favorite servants soon moved to the position of keeper of the wardrobe, which is like one of the highest positions that you can have in the household. And I didn't really understand why. So I looked it up, but essentially you're handling clothing that has got like gold and jewels on it. that can literally be traded in place of money in some cases. And you wouldn't want
0: just anybody. their
1: Hands on that stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so it's a very big honor um and a very high position for him to hold within the King's um house. He holds this position for five years, and during this time, he's also taking part in the succession of the Scottish throne. He's visiting France on diplomatic missions. He's riding breakneck at night to deathbeds to get charters signed, transferring lands over to the king by we're talking like death we just got sick beds but death beds people like breathing their last breaths and he's like shit I gotta make sure that they sign all of their stuff over to King Edward let's ride into the
0: night (laughs) off we go and they're like struggling to breathe they're like (gasps) and he's like here take this pen sign (laughs) this Yeah, very Very quickly before you go what a a scumbag
1: yes but like As the keeper of the wardrobe, he's doing just literally everything that is, like, outside his wheelhouse. Mm, Right. Walter became, quote, unquestionably Edward's first minister and almost his only real confidant. (gasps) (gasps)
0: Gay.
1: Thank you. Okay. My next paragraph says, personally, I think they were fucking.
0: (laughs) Obviously. His only confidant? only yeah. yes um yeah, they fucked they fucked for sure yeah yeah so
1: the paragraph says i think they were fucking but i also live in a world built on misogyny and toxic masculinity and compulsory heterosexuality so can anyone blame me for seeing two dudes getting along and my first thought being quote that's gay <laughs>
0: it's true yeah i suppose that's true but also like it's not crazy like it isn't crazy for it isn't crazy to fuck like it's it's not wild they do it's it's not outlandish
1: no yes but i are i i offer that if men had more soft emotions I perhaps would not think they were fucking every single dude that they exclusively had soft emotions with.
0: Right. That is, yes, that is what (laughs) we are saying. We're not saying that just because you have a male friend that you're having sex with each other. It's like if you don't have any outlet for like. The only one. (laughs) Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> He's his exception. his only right. real his confidat. only exception.
1: <laughs> <laughs> if he had like 15 besties, I wouldn't be saying shit.
0: <laughs> no, no, of course not.
1: Um, anyway. In twelve ninety-five, Walter graduates from keeper of the wardrobe to royal treasurer or the chief finance minister in charge of taxes and public spending. Mm-hmm. Um and in twelve ninety six, the year later, he's elected bishop of I didn't look up how to say this. I'm is it Lickfield, Lickfield, I don't know. Lichfield, C H, but it's British and they'd say nothing how they're supposed to. So I know. They're crazy. The, this is full, full shade considering, like, sure has, like, five million more letters than you mm-hmm. think it does. It's like, Lesture <laughs> Shire. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, he's elected a uh, bishop and rebuilds an a whole-ass castle while he's at it. Um, people, though, people people start getting a little pissed off about this weird favoritism thing that's happening um and they want to see walter
0: fall on his face
1: i um, i can only am, imagine the
0: things i'm having a memory mm-hmm. um there is a terrible show on netflix it's a documentary about um castles in britain like the different castles um It's hosted by this (laughs) fucking weirdo who is, like, not a great host. (laughs) And the show is not very good. (laughs) But I do watch it. it. (laughs) Well, I don't have any intention of, like, recommending it to anyone. I'm just saying that I think on that show, I heard about this guy. When you said Castle, it clicked. I think I heard about this guy. But the great news is that I only watch the show when I am stoned out of my gourd. So <laughs> I have no idea what happens in the story. So that's the good news. Awesome. Anyway, um, there you go.
1: I didn't write down a lot about it, but there is an entire section. I, I vaguely remember. I think it's at the bottom um, of his Wikipedia. There's like a whole section of just all of the shit that he built or helped build while he mm. was in power. Mm-hmm. he had his he had his fingers in a lot of pies
0: mm-hmm. um
1: anyway uh, i can only imagine the things that people must have been saying about him the way he was using the king to gain both royal and ecclesiastical positions land how he was said to overshadow even the king's chancellor in power how he accomplished all of this in five years and how he even he got himself nicknamed the king's right
0: eye they're fucking <laughs> they're fucking yeah they have to be i don't know how they're not yeah and it it gets worse
1: as the story goes along like i argue it even more mm-hmm. um in the dumbest move of the century i Hannibal Thank you so much for your participation <laughs> in this
0: <laughs> podcast. Um, if you hear bell jingling, my cat is mad. <clears throat> I think. It's two. Hannibal was like, uh, you uh, mentioned the dumbest move of the century. <laughs> 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 I like to throw my head in the ring. <laughs> <laughs> Could you lay down, please?
1: sir, maybe I'll What if I move my laptop over here? Will you sit down? Um, in smooth move of the century, some barons go to King Edward, and they're like, mm, get rid of Walter, please. We do not like him. He's no good for you or the kingdom. He is greedy. He has a bad attitude. Please kick him out of positions and send an him packing. Just get, in, get rid of him. Get, yeah. Bye. Um, and Edward, who just got done sucking Walter's dick, <laughs> um, Edward says no.
0: When you said that, I like had a whole like vision, and I was like, "Yeah," and then I was like, "Wait." He was like wiping his mouth. Like, I really saw it.
1: <laughs> um, Edward says no because Edward is colorblind. Not a red flag in sight. The biggest simp in history. Um, and. To- <laughs> Into the story comes this man named John Lovatot. I'm gonna say Lovatot. It looks like Lovtot, L-O-V-E-T-O-T, but mm-hmm. Lovatot is bouncier, so that's what mm-hmm. I'm going with. Um, this man ain't even got a like a Wikipedia page. His dad does, but like he's so unimportant that like you you Google him and like noth- nothing comes up. Wow, embarrassing. Um, he is, yeah, he is only important. For this one single plot point of Walter Langton's story. So, we don't know a lot about him or his family. We know that the Langtons and the Lovetots go way back. They're mentioned in records together across decades. And I believe John's brother was Walter's clerk. So, they worked together. Um, we do know that John Lovetot owned. He owed Langton like a thousand pounds when all of the bullshit between them started going down. I don't know if that's a thousand pounds today's money or a £1, thousand pounds thirteen hundred
0: money. A thousand um, pounds way, back then it's, is like it's, what? It's not ten dollars. Yeah. Yeah, that would be fifty
1: plus thousand dollars, if not mm. more. Jeez. I don't I don't know inflation rates. I don't even anyway. It's a lot of money. He definitely did not loan him $5 for the vending machine. Um, (laughs) Chunk of change. Uh, For some reason, maybe it's this money. Maybe it's everyone stepping up, voicing how much they hate Walter. A combo of this, something else entirely. But Johnny Boy decides he's in his main character arc right now. Uh, A lot of, yeah, not good for anybody. A lot of articles make it sound like John instigates the investigation into Walter that's going to happen. But a chapter from a book called Officers and Accountability in Medieval England, 1170 to 1300 by John Savapathy gives a different chronology. Hmm. Um, I didn't read the whole book. I just read that. That's as much as I cared. Mm-hmm. Um, Without getting into the nitty gritty or trying to understand a mix of Latin and inquisitorial judicial processes as they relate to this country and time period. um, My read was that a bunch of rumors started circulating circa February 1301 about Walter Langton. And once they got to a decibel that could no longer be ignored, the Pope Boniface VIII summoned Langton before him and wrong okay like we we gotta talk about all of the stuff that people are saying about
0: (laughs) the girls are
1: talking and it's it's not good (laughs) considering he's a bishop it does fall within his purview to give a shit about people saying things about walter yeah and the king is not doing anything on like the secular front about walter at all Mm. um do, do 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 Langton blows this off. Um he like really doesn't give a shit about the Pope saying, like, you know, we need we need to have a conversation. He's like, mm, that sounds like a you problem.
0: Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even I would listen to the Pope. <laughs> I would be like, okay, He's yeah, things sure. to do. right. Okay. No,
1: it's just like whatever. Um, people write letters about how awesome Langton is and how he can, again, not just be yoinked out of the kingdom because he's like a major supporting pillar for better or worse. Unfortunately, he's like put himself in a position that if you were to take him away, like your tax system, public spending, king, like everybody depends on him. I don't think the king would take a shit without Walter say so. Do you mm. understand what we're Tell you. Yeah. Um, so it's like we don't even necessarily like the guy, but we need the kingdom to function. So you right. cannot just take him away.
0: Right. The
1: Pope puts some guys on it and it's like, okay, just like go investigate what's going on, I guess. Figure out what's happening. Um, And they strike gold when they run into John Levitat, who is only too willing to become the official accuser of Walter Langton and put his seal of, yes, that is correct, on all of the rumors that are circulating.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, And rumors circulating, accusations Walter now stands formally accused of are the following. Um, Buying and selling ecclesiastical privileges like pardons, indulgences, that kind of thing. Great. Yeah. Um, some other religious things that I do not understand at all. So <laughs> I'm just going to quote it. <laughs> Maybe you'll know what it is. Maybe you won't. I don't know. Oh, a quiz. <laughs> um, but it, well, I, I just don't know what some of these words mean in this context. So the quote is, the said bishop, before his promotion to the said episcopate, held very many benefices, having care of souls, and he held these dignities without the dispensation of the apostolic see. Mm. I don't know what that means.
0: <laughs> so he, so it was like what, um, basically like what the Medicis did, what, um, uh, Lorenzo the Magnificent did for Giovanni, um, Mm -hmm. gave him all those benefices and stuff but like he got the approval of the bishops for which territories the benefices applied so in this case this guy just didn't do that he just took them the offices so he just did stuff without permission Yeah, basically. And he, it sounds like he appointed himself to, like, positions of authority in a bunch of different churches without a bishop Mm. saying that he could.
1: Okay. Okay.
0: That makes, that makes
1: sense. Yeah. But
0: yeah, like I said, it's like, I understand these words individually, but in a sentence, not really. (laughs) It's that, like, church speak that's, like, so fucking, like, yeah, it's obscure. Like, what are you even talking about? And I only know it because of the Medici episode. Like, I wouldn't have known, probably, without that. Mm.
1: Well, thank God we did it in this order, then. So you can answer my
0: question. (laughs) True. Um,
1: (laughs) (laughs) There's a laundry list of other charges. Um, Some of the charges are just that, like, Lovatot can prove that, in fact, there are rumors circulating. Like, it's really weird. Yeah. Like he can prove that the rumors about the rumors aren't rumors, and like, <laughs> good for him. Okay. It's like listed as its own individual charge of like mm. he stands accused of this. Also, there are rumors that he has done this. It's like, like its own individual thing. And John's like, I can prove not only that he's done it, but I can prove that the rumor saying that he's done it. People were actually spreading those rumors. Okay, sure. Essentially to prove that he's a bad person, but people are also actively shit-talking him. It's not okay. like one person who got to the Pope and lied that all of England thinks that Walter Langton's a piece of shit. I see. That makes sense. It They've worded it in the most confusing fucking way possible. Right. It's so dumb. Um, the the big thing though, and the reason Lovatod is like the gold mine and the invitation, um, is that he's willing to stand up and say, "Yes, everybody, you heard it correctly. Walter Langton fucked my
0: stepmom." <laughs> what? <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> some people
1: have been talking about it and he's like yep, Walter fucked my stepmom before he got elected as a bishop he banged my stepmom all the time and it wasn't a secret. In fact he and my stepmom strangled my dad, beloved Sir John Lovatot, may he rest in peace in his bed so that they could keep
0: fucking Oh Oh my god is that true? No,
1: (laughs) not even a little bit they'll prove it later like it'll be ridiculous later but oh he god. stands up and just it's like yeah of course all of those rumors are true thinking of like the thousand pounds that he owes walter Langton. Mm. yeah he fucked my stepmom i guess true oh my god um this
0: is messy she says Mm.
1: Icing on the cake, though, is that Don also submits that the only reason Walter has as much power in the kingdom as he does is because he worships Satan and has made a deal with him. Um, of course. He says that everybody, everybody in their brother knows that Walter spends all of his free time chatting with the devil, and
0: everybody also knows that Walter physically gets down on his knees and kisses the devil's ass. Okay. Sure i mean who hasn't (laughs) who among us has not (laughs) (laughs) oh no
1: um when boniface the eighth writes about this he gets a little coy he doesn't want to say he kissed the devil's ass so he's like he kissed the devil's back (laughs) um but i've i've talked about the osculum infame some the obscene kiss where the servants of the devil kiss the base of his spine which is a polite way of saying that they kiss his ass Mm -hmm. um there's a lot of writing about um like what this symbolizes, or why it became a thing. If it has anything to do with the reversal of Christian rituals, if it's a defaming of Christian rituals, if it's both, if it's about homosexuality, if it's about bestiality. Um, It's interesting that it's mentioned shows up in Walter's case since it's so far removed from the period in time um, in which it became a common trope in English cases, which was like 300 years later. But equally as interesting, the obscene kiss shows up in the Templars trials, the Templars who are currently being targeted by Philip IV, who Boniface VIII is in an ongoing, like literally this same year, in a battle with. Um, and I recommend that episode. It's very funny. And Petty, a poke, gets held hostage. Philip puts Boniface's corpse on trial after <laughs> guys. Um, it's not the cadaver synod, but it is another posthumous trial of a pope. Um, it's with the Templars, though, that you see academics connecting the obscene kiss to homosexuality, wondering if getting them to admit to this act was a roundabout way of getting them to confess to homosexuality. Mm. Um but I really love reading the different interpretations. They can get kind of artsy. One writer called the obscene kiss a quote, kind of dark communion and eating of the God, a total taking into oneself of the devil. In- Whoa.
0: I all right. Dig. Yeah, I do too. And it's kind of convenient how it's all that stuff like wrapped up in one little gesture. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, maybe it's all of it. Maybe it's referring to all that stuff.
1: Yeah, I forget, but they compare it to the Eucharist. They compare it to, is it called like the kiss of peace or something?
0: I forget. Yeah, like the sign of peace. I mean, we shake hands yeah. now. I think people used to kiss each other. <laughs> or and there's definitely a uh, <laughs> similar going on. But like, yeah. yeah. It's compared to like
1: Judas kiss and everything Ah, too. Like there's a ridiculous, like a ridiculous amount of things that they're like, well, maybe it means this. Mm -hmm. Um, But all of them are very interesting to listen to academics expound upon. Mm -hmm. Uh, Back to our story. Langton is like, temporarily suspended from being treasurer and whatnot during this whole trial um but like i said he doesn't present himself to the pope he just dicks around for a whole year instead instead of going to rome
0: all right
1: (laughs) he's got better places to be apparently um But funnily enough, Levitat is also completely dicking around um, and promising to provide witnesses to the Inquisitors and then like completely just ghosting them like on repeat. So both of them are completely worthless. (laughs) Okay, cool. Um, No one is taking this seriously except for the Pope and his Inquisitors. One of whom is the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he is apparently Walter's lifelong nemesis. Um, But two or three people get called Walter's lifelong nemesis, so at that (laughs) point, is the title worth anything?
0: (laughs) Right, he has so many lifelong nemeses.
1: Yes. I have arch enemies, don't get me wrong, but I'm waiting for that special someone to be my lifelong nemesis. I don't just hand that title out to... To everybody?
0: No, of course not. That would be insane. <laughs> not, not Walter. Walter declares everybody
1: his lifelong <laughs> nemesis.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: And it doesn't even really say why or when they started hating each other. Just that they hate each other. Um, during this dicking around time period, some really comical stuff happens. So Boniface writes to Edward I and says, Hey, I know we're, like, in the process of charging your bestest buddy ever um, with a bunch of crimes. Um, and we all know that you know that John Lovat is the accuser. So could you maybe not abuse your position as the king and punish John Lovatot for no reason?
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: And Edward opened the letter and was immediately overcome with a case of illiteracy. <laughs> <laughs> what? In one ear, out the other. Mm-hmm. Did not listen to a single thing. Typical. Um he coincidence or not, um, arrested Lovatop briefly just a few months later. And then from August to September, wrote a dozen letters about how awesome Walter was and how John was a no good piece of shit who didn't deserve to breathe.
0: Whoa. Okay. See,
1: He wrote letters. I mean, he went on like a uh, college, like sorority girl letter writing campaign <laughs> to like everybody he had the address for pope the pope's nephew the pope's secretary like everybody he could physically contact he was sending letters about how great walter was and how john levitat was
0: a fugly slut so (laughs) (laughs) do not trust her (laughs) i love this Um, Anyway, Boniface is over
1: here just looking at that whole fire while also looking at the fire he's got going on with Philip IV. Um, And I mean, like, literal, like, his whole on, like, fight with Philip IV. And it's like, things are just going so well for me right now. I'm so blessed.
0: Thank (laughs) you, God. (laughs) This is great. (laughs) I'm thankful, I'm grateful, <laughs> I'm blessed. I'm such a lucky boy.
1: He orders Lovatot to produce his witnesses, and right after that, uh, Lovatot is beaten half to death and left for dead in St. Paul's Cemetery. Holy fuck. <laughs> no one seems to have been arrested or charged. Whoa. Yeah, Levitat does survive. It makes it seem like he dies, but um, he does survive. um, And he states that he's really super-duper uneasy about traveling for the trial now.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no (laughs) shit. He's like, I got enemies everywhere, man. (laughs) Yeah, Jesus. Um, The Archbishop of Canterbury tries to get
1: Edward to write letters of safe passage for John. Like the fuck, why would you go to Edward for that? Mm-hmm. Um, but Edward just writes more letters about how much he loves and supports Walter instead.
0: <laughs> so John does not go room. to the trial. Yeah, obviously. So it's at this point
1: that I'm like, how much evidence do I need to pile up in front of you to prove that, like, Edward and Walter were fucking...
0: Well... For me, personally, you had to pile up zero evidence. (laughs) Because I'm just always ready to believe it. But it seems very obvious now. Yeah.
1: How you write that many letters. Because, I mean, it's one thing to, like, make a form letter on a laptop and just email it to a bunch of people. It's another thing to handwrite a bunch of letters and, like, email them... Not email them, <laughs> mail them,
0: <laughs> and all different ones too, with like different content in the emails, in the body of the emails, <laughs> like, like sealing them with wax. Yeah, that's that's a love situation. Only. What I was
1: trying to say a second ago was <laughs> sending them like a, acoustically, essentially. Like
0: an acoustic email, <laughs> which is just mail analog email, which is <laughs> some might call it mail. mail. Sure, <laughs> yeah, that's where my acoustic brain was at. Email is so funny. <laughs> that's you my garage band. Take a nap. <laughs> I trying email, to yeah. your so. last Zoom meeting woke me up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I'm uh, I'm a little delirious right now. Um, anyway, <laughs> anyway um, ultimately, everything fizzles out. Um, Boniface is forced to look at the lack of evidence given to him by his inquisitors and declare um, Walter innocent. Quote, the inquisitorial witnesses have deposed posed nothing which has damaged you and it seems that many of these witnessed against you with respect to the public rumor however they added to their words uh that the rumor originated with your opponents In quote mostly just to say that like once we traced like the source of the rumors down we found out that it came from people hated you so no matter how many people were saying these things or who was saying these things it ultimately didn't even matter
0: we found out we traced the rumors back to one out of 18 of your lifelong nemeses so (laughs) (laughs) so it's all good (laughs) why does he have so many (laughs) i have no idea he fucked
1: the king and got real popular and people didn't like it and they're like I didn't know you could fuck your way up the ladder. Jesus Christ, I should have tried that. Right. He's just a big old slut. <laughs> he is. Um, it goes on to say that John, uh, Sir John Lovatot, may he rest in peace, um, died naturally. Um, so they're like, we don't even know why that was really called into question in the first place. That like he murdered him because mm-hmm. we have plenty of evidence that like that totally didn't happen. Um, You're responsible. So... It stands uh, that everything that follows is bullshit. Like, why would you and the stepmother have murdered him if you weren't fucking? Yeah. It all falls apart. Right. Uh, So everything's settled. But Walter needs to remove himself from his ecclesiastical office. And I think... Now that you've explained that weird quote to me, it's, like, his ecclesiastical office says, like, all of the stuff that he gave to himself, too. Right. Yeah. Um. It's, like, you, you got to give it all back. Um, And it's not even, like, because you did a bad thing. It's mostly because, like some scandal would follow should you remain an authority. Like, people, people, we don't think you did anything wrong, if you stayed where you're at, people would start talking. Yeah, it wouldn't look we good. we don't want that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't really want that heat right now, so it would be better for everybody if you would just give it all back and just go away. <laughs> right. Um, as to the charge of witchcraft, I think King Edward convinced Boniface to transfer those charges to an English court where he dealt with them like, ah, oh, you're innocent. Ooh, We didn't <laughs> need to draw that out. <laughs> um, wording across the articles gets tricky. Where sometimes it sounds like the whole case got transferred to England and sometimes it sounds like just certain charges were, were transferred to England. I think that they split the baby and I think that's how they split the baby, but I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. confusing okay um a bunch of petty things happen after the trial so boniface dies not a petty thing but (laughs) boniface dies (laughs) in 1303 um and he's replaced by clement v who langton helps to persuade to fire and exile the archbishop of canterbury his lifelong nemesis who is the inquisitor (laughs) in this trial. So he's like, all right, now that Clement V, who is put in the position of trying Boniface, like force or whatever, is like, when you've got some free time, by the way, um, could you perhaps potentially fire the Archbishop of Canterbury? No reason, um, <laughs> just could you possibly do that? <laughs> Um, so they get rid of him, and then King Edward Sat dies in 1307, which leads to Walter's almost immediate arrest, removal from office, and imprisonment as his lands and wealth are seized.
0: Wow. <laughs>
1: So they're like, um, your sugar daddy's not here to protect you anymore. Goodbye. You are the
0: weakest wow. link. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, though, is like, if you get close to a king, like, everybody else hates you, and they're just counting down the seconds. Until the king is gone. And then, yep.
1: congrats, you go with them. Yep. Um, So, while he's in He is accused by Aaron's Yetting of crimes And so he remains in prison Because he does not have Edward to write him a whole bunch of letters About how he's an awesome person this time Um It says he's released in 1312 I don't know if he was released Intermittently or if he was Jailed for like those Five years straight But after his release he becomes Treasurer again for some reason Um Like, Edward II or whatever, who afforded no protection, um, suddenly lets him have his job back. I think he was in a tough spot, and he owed him. Um, I didn't read too much about it. I didn't really give a shit. So he's treasurer again, but everybody in the office hates him so much that they don't let him do his job. So it's, (laughs) like, pointless for him to be the treasurer, like, at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, the Archbishop of Canterbury has made his way back into his position because he went behind everybody's back and talked to King Edward II and was like, can I pretty please be the Archbishop again? <laughs> that would be really great. Um, and so Edward II talked to Clement V and it's like, I know that you fired and exiled him, but he said, pretty please. So can he have his
0: job back? <laughs> and
1: the Pope was like, I guess.
0: Well, <laughs> sure. if he said pretty please.
1: <laughs> i got to twist my arm. <laughs> um, uh, so he makes his way back to his position and he like excommunicates Walter. Um, the second that he got his job back. Um, wow. And the parliament formally requests the Walter's dismissal in 1315. So um, the last couple of years of his life were just absolute shit. So he had a really good time and then Edward died and then it was just a bunch of um, jail and people taking his money and his jobs and yeah, getting excommunicated. Yeah, it was not a good time. He fucked around. He found out. Yep. Um. He never seems to have had a mistress or a spouse, which, again, more evidence for him fucking the king, mm-hmm. um, and has no children attached to him. So after his brother Robert is in 1317, which is completely lost over, um, their heir jointly becomes Robert's son, Edmund, who inherits the remainder of Walter's wealth upon his death on November 9th, 1321 and that is the story of walter langton king edward the first right eye
0: wow you know i didn't remember any of it from the castle show except (laughs) that i remembered that everybody hated him because the king liked him that was the only thing i remembered so now that i have the full story I think it's a love story. I really do. And I think that it's kind of a shame. But also like be fucking for real. Like, of course, it's not gonna go well. If you're like that close to the king. Mm -hmm. It just never would. Yeah. And
1: it's really funny to read other articles that like, obviously don't like him and shit talk him and they're like he was really greedy in his position and blah 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 and people didn't like him and he was super unfavorable and he did all this bad stuff and i'm like you obviously didn't read the like tragic romance that i've been reading slash (laughs) crafting in my mind (laughs) (laughs) because if you had you would not
0: be talking so much shit on walter langton right yeah, that's true. I do also think it's interesting how, like, um, in both of our stories, the, like, demonic stuff was kind of an afterthought. 100%. It was, like, for yours, it was just like, oh, well, we might as well accuse him of this to, like, really drive it home. <laughs> and it
1: just shows up when some dude's in his main character arc.
0: hmm Right. He pops up, he's like, ah, demon's. By the way, I'm out. <laughs> Peace. <laughs> In both the stories, actually. It was like, oh yeah, by the way, there were demons here the whole time. Peace. Like, what are you talking about? That's you actually not something bomb. you can just, like, say and then walk away. <laughs> and then everybody just never thinks about it, like, ever again. <laughs> right. I do think it's. it shows how, like... That was like the thing to say when you wanted like to take somebody down, like for good. Yeah, but I like that he wasn't really taken down. Like he, he, he survived. Yeah,
1: I think it's interesting the kind of ways that like you do try to take people down because in the articles I read about like medieval culture and stuff. that relevant to my story they're like oh yeah one of the biggest things you could do was say that the only reason people had any wealth power what have you was because they made a deal with the devil that was like the biggest blow to them and right. then you know it just makes me think back to whenever Philip barged in to the his name was Philip right of like Burgundy yeah yeah in your story when abortion starts accusing her of being like a prostitute and all kinds of stuff, it's like you, you went for like the lowest thing that <laughs> you could.
0: Yeah, and I mean, so, people did say that she was like possessed, but that wasn't what the soldiers were saying.
1: No, it was like you are pregnant. You're a prostitute, um, right? and it was, it was just finding the one thing that like absolutely like shatters a person's dignity or any respect that they could right. possibly have right you know what what ruins a a saint is she's actually a whore that's true Ruins a strong man well he made a deal with the devil
0: Right, he didn't earn any of the things that he had. So, like, yeah, that's what it is for a man, but for a woman, it's like, oh, you're just a slut. And, like, again, not to, like, beat a dead horse, but, like, Madonna horror complex. Like, Mm -hmm. come on. Mm -hmm. Like, those are the two options. This is a weird episode. (laughs) It is.
1: It's weird how parallels where you would not expect there to be
0: like at all right and the parallel was not something that I like mentioned in my like keywords Mm -hmm. I like I didn't mention oh by the way also like demons or the devil isn't it I was like ice skating (laughs) (laughs) chronic illness Mm -hmm. chronic (laughs) illness ice skating and you were like no no a gay love story. (laughs) (laughs) I see your ice skating and I raise you a gay love story. And guess what? I loved it. (laughs) I thank you. I loved your body horror. (laughs) I mean, there's no other word for it. There's no other term for that story. It was fucking gruesome to read. Like, I was like, I have to step away. Yeah. Yeah, what were we doing next stay in my my mind
1: for a while? I don't know. I have to to pick I think I'd try to pick something crazy. I
0: something like crazy. crazy,
1: something fun.
0: Yeah. Something Let's salacious. Ooh.
1: <laughs> salacious. something slutty. <laughs> I found an article uh yesterday that was like talking about stuff out of like the um it's escaping me the hammer of witches but in latin
0: mm-hmm. malleus maleficarum thank
1: you i couldn't remember what the first word was <laughs> <laughs> to which i should know i'm like starts with an m what is it <laughs> <laughs> um but it was a list of a bunch of like, like a highlight of the craziest stuff from the malice maleficarum Ooh. like the penis nest and all of that stuff yeah, yeah. um And then it started talking about other like crazy things from like history, like weird demonic possessions and stuff like that. And I'm like, I am going to try to track something funny, funky, weird down like this to talk about because it's been a minute since I have gotten to talk about like fucking sentient penises living in a tree. So
0: yeah, the good old days, (laughs) the good old days. (laughs) That sounds good. I'm excited. I hope it will be fun for all parties. Well, I'm sure it will. And we hope that you all can join us next time. And thank you so much for listening. Thanks be to God. Blessed be.